Welcome back, Cosmic Explorers. Before we start today's show, many of you have been asking me the about the, it's called the Mount Shasta Summer Conference that I attended last month, and you were curious about it. So I'm just going to give a quick uh, description of that before we start with our new guest. It was a really nice environment. It's set in a park with beautiful tall trees and the lectures and events occurred in two hundred year old wooden kind of cabin like buildings, very rustic. And there were two meetings going on at the same time or two speakers going on at the same time within short walking distance, beautiful weather. We were in the shade a lot, fortunately. Uh, good ventilation, and about 12 booths were outside the main building where speakers were available for us to talk with each other, and they were selling their wares and jewelry and things like that. Truthfully, I went especially as an honoring tribute to Sir Alex Collier, who many of you know and our loyal subscribers know him well. He has been on the front lines for at least 35 years. And he gave two heartwarming, revealing, and informative talks with his little sidekick, who was a little rescue dog named Merlin, who's a cutie pie. This was Alex's last public appearance on the West Coast. And I also went to meet in person Laura Eisenhower. I also wanted to meet in person a fifth density walk in Starseed Arcturus Rock because he built a med bed. Now, albeit his model is much more simple than the Andromedan ones that are the ones I really am interested in. But I wanted to meet him to get more specific details on the prices uh, for his hourly treatments, what it does, and its claimed specific results he had noticed. So just briefly, cost to have your own in your house is 35000 quite a chunk. And his treatments are 100 each. And he lives in Sedona, Arizona. And you have as many treatments as you want or afford. And that's about what I can tell you now. I may have him on a future show. I also enjoyed meeting longtime explorers and best-selling authors Brooke Agnew and Brad Olson. Uh, and on the last day, had an in-person meet with a previous guest on my show, Cosmic Brilliance, Dan Willis, and met his lovely wife. So most people attending had had contact, extraterrestrial, interdimensional, and it was nice to see a younger generation attend as well. So that's my quick review. So I was impulsed to go to two presentations that newcomer Isaac Mars did and loved them so much. I wanted to share these two talks. I wanted to have him share these two talks with you. And uh, because I know you weren't able to attend. So Isaac Mars, my guest today, is an intelligent, compassionate, fun-loving, and stellar example of the younger generation, you know, with a super old soul, I might add, <laughs> stepping forward now <laughs> to infuse fresh energy into the truth disclosure movement. Isaac Mars is an author, theoretical physicist on a team of scientists and an organization called Alliance for ET Diplomatic Contact. He has shattered some old taught paradigms in traditional schools with his new book, da -da -da -da, <laughs> The Impossible is Possible, which is a great name and it's titled Unity Theory. 
<laughs> At the beginning of Isaac's spiritual awakening, the universe revealed many secrets to him regarding the nature of reality. And he continued to reawaken and his innate powers of intuition and imagination. So to Isaac's surprise, it became clear that the logic and philosophy he had found held many keys to profoundly improving our life on planet Earth or Terra, as it is galactically called. Through accessing and remembering this ancient knowledge, he unlocked the ability to express simplistically, folks, and that's the key, simplistically, the science of spirituality. And you and I all know how difficult it is to simplify very complex subjects. And this is one of the reasons I definitely wanted him on the show. He also uncovers the true nature of our origin. Following his heart, he left his former life behind, which he will share later, adventuring out on a mission to bring this universal knowledge to all of us. He believes that as we come together to achieve this dream, where we can create a world where science is limited only by our imagination, where suffering fades away into a distant memory, and where every person from every nation, color, creed, class, or any other division can finally unite under the unifying nature of consciousness. And he will continue in a wonderful slideshow to share his journey and discoveries. Welcome, Isaac. And wow. thank you so much. Merrily, that's quite the introduction. Uh, firstly, I'm honored to be here. And you about have me blushing, so I'm matching my jacket here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be on your show. I've seen many of your episodes and I love what you do. Thank you for being you. Thank you for bringing this knowledge to the people because that's how we're going to shift the collective consciousness is raising awareness and uh, being more conscious of how reality works. So thank you. Uh, my pleasure. And I will say this, if I may, don't blush. Ready? Um, I immediately, when I saw you, it was like love at first talk <laughs> or whatever you call it. I, I sensed uh, Isaac as a very important future leader and Palladian representative and much more. And I will leave it at that. So it is my pleasure, Isaac, that you were willing to do this with me. So you take over and have fun with your uh, show. With Absolutely. The Without further ado, here's my presentation titled My ET Experience, Earth's Guardian Fleet. My name is Isaac Mars, and I'm here to share the power of consciousness with everybody willing to receive it. You can find my work at my website, thecrimsoneagle.com, and you can uh, learn more about what I'm doing and kind of track me in your own way through Instagram at the Crimson Eagle. So... Today I'll be going over my story and I just want to be clear on a few points. Everything that I share with the people I connect with is exactly what I have experienced. I'm not here to create some grand story that didn't happen. Um, and I want to be clear that I really don't care what other people think about me and my experiences. I've learned that truth is often stranger than fiction. So this world has a tendency to try and keep us from sharing our truth because sometimes it can be often unbelievable. But in my experience, that's the true reality. Just take what resonates and disregard the rest. 
because I'm not here to try and change anybody's mind. I'm just here to speak my truth. So during my awakening, I ended up formulating what I call the universal natural intelligence theory of energetics. Now that's kind of a mouthful. So when I wrote it into a book, I decided to just call it unity theory. And I want to be clear that unity theory is not the same thing as unified field theory. These are two completely separate theories. And though they may overlap in many areas, there are ways that I disagree with unified th field theory. And I feel ways that um, it would be reciprocated on my end as well. So in my experience, uh, unity theory is the first scientific theory in human history to solve the purposes and properties specifically of dark matter, dark energy, and gravity, and to bring this knowledge to the public. It's also basically the science of consciousness and or spirituality. What I've learned in my experiences is that spirituality and true science are one and the same. In this illusion, the the world we live in, uh, it, it's called the illusion of Maya in Eastern philosophy. And when we get lost in that illusion, we get lost in uh, certain storylines, certain patterns, certain cycles that can be very limiting. And so what unity theory does is it essentially melts away that illusion. It gives us the wherewithal, the, the ability and the knowledge to be able to see reality for what it is and to know that the impossible is possible. So the universal natural intelligence first originated in my experience when I was in initially writing a science fiction novel. I had come up with a title for the novel. I had spent about three years formulating the story and making up the characters and, and their quirks and their abilities and what would happen. And I thought, you know, I really want to explain time to my readers. I, I wanted to make the story as hyper-realistic as possible so that it would really engross the reader in the plot. And so I was researching Einstein's theory of relativity, and I learned about simu simultaneity and how all of time happens at once. And I'll be exploring that in, in a little bit here in my presentation. But my main three... Um, inspirations in this were Einstein, uh, someone called Alan Watts, if you haven't heard of him, he is a pretty well-known uh, metaphysicist, philosopher, and speaker who did a lot of lectures and talks during the 60s and is known for helping many souls to awaken. And the th last but not least, my one of my greatest inspirations was Tesla. No, not that Tesla, the real <laughs> Tesla. <laughs> So sometimes Elon likes to speak into my slides, but um, <laughs> this is Nikola Tesla, the inarguably the greatest scientist in human history. Basically, 90% of what we still use today, if you're using a laptop, a smartphone, anything like that, you're using technology that Nikola Tesla grounded into this reality. So these three incredible predecessors before me held many keys that when combined created the basis of unity theory. So what the universal natural intelligence is, is an intelligence that unifies all things by being all things, meaning that this structure of reality is holodynamic, meaning that each 
tiny piece of the entire reality contains the whole dynamic within it. And since because we, as the observer, as the experiencer of reality, are the whole, our true potential rises beyond any limitation that we've been taught so far in the human world. Tesla once said that if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. When I first heard this, I really didn't think much about it. I thought it sounded cool, and that's basically it. But what I later realized while I was in deep thought in my closet-converted office in my Ann Arbor apartment bedroom, uh, I realized that this is actually incredibly important when it comes to realizing the structure of reality. Einstein also said that we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking that created them. And that's an important quote for me because in order to tap into the golden age of humanity that we're on the cusp of in this beginning of the age of Aquarius, we need to know how to get there fundamentally and practically. And Alan Watts also had a fantastic quote. It's a, it's a bit longer. I ended up memorizing it because it was profound in initiating my awakening. But it was about the adventure of dreams. And so when I was 16 years old, I started to believe in my own mind. I didn't really talk to anybody about it, but I started to realize that the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the omniscient God that I believed in was the universe itself. And so Alan Watts said this adventure of dreams in one of his lectures, and it went something like this. Let's suppose that you are able every night to dream any dream that you wanted to dream. Naturally, as you began on this adventure of dreams, you would fulfill all your wishes. You would have every kind of pleasure you seek. Then after several nights, you'd say, well, that was pretty great. But now let's, um, let's have a surprise. Let's have a dream which is under my control. Well, something's going to happen to me, but I don't know what it's going to be. Then you would get more and more adventurous and you would make further and further out gambles as to what you would dream. And then finally, you would dream where you are right now. And in one moment after hearing him say that so many times, listening to that lecture, when I had the other pieces, the other keys to the puzzle from Tesla and from Einstein, it just hit me like that. A light bulb went on. And I realized, holy crap, I'm the universe and so is everybody else. I realized the intuitive uh, understanding and comprehension of the holodynamic nature of reality. And I thought everything within my mind is what I experience. It's all my perception. Therefore, I am one with the reality around me. I realized that we are all the universe experiencing itself. And so that was extremely profound for both my awakening and my understanding that led to the universal natural intelligence. So when we look in our reality, we see it all the time. We just need to open our eyes. Uh, during my initial lecture, I got a little confused, uh, albeit playfully, uh, when looking at these different pictures. Because here on the left, we see a brain cell or the, or the structure within the neuronal pathways of the brain. And on the right, we see the structure of the universe as we've been able to map it so far with our current technology. And really, it's a pattern within a pattern. 
And that's what the universe is. It's patterns within patterns within patterns. So once you start to recognize those patterns, which is one of my specialties, that's when you can see the greater picture. You can get that eagle eye perspective on what's going on. And it's not just in this example. There are countless other examples, including eyes that look like different nebula and, and galaxies. And right here we have the birth of a cell and the death of a star. Though if you uh, don't look too closely, you can't really tell which is which. And so that leads me to some more quotes and something that I want to talk about in regard to time and what I realized through Einstein's theory of relativity. So Tesla said, today's scientists have substituted mathematics for experiments, and they wander off through equation after equation and eventually build a structure which has no relation to reality. So many of us that are spiritually aware may look at the idea of time itself as being what Tesla is describing in this quote. Um, but there are many other things that could be attributed to this kind of idea. For me, many of mainstream quantum physics is actually in this realm of thought. I mean, you can't apply a quark or a gluon or a muon in your actual experience as a human being. And therefore, learning more about these things to me personally doesn't provide us any sort of pathway forward as a collective consciousness. And though I do want to make it clear that there are many quantum physicists that are more in alignment with spirituality and bringing this truth of reality to the people. And so for those that do that, I applaud them. Then Einstein said, people like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Uh, Alan Watts went on to explain it in his own way, saying that the future is a concept. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as tomorrow. There never will be, because the time is always now. And that's something that I realized, too. In my experience, if I were to ask people at any stage of history, let's say we could ask every president of the United States what time they're experiencing it. Is it the past? Is it the future? Or is it right now? Is it the present? They would all say, well, it's right now. Therefore, it's never not now. And that is another indication that time is a stubborn illusion. So when I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the idea of simultaneity uh, that Einstein and many of his colleagues proposed, I started to come up with a thought experiment about how that might look. And so I dedicated myself in this presentation to creating a very uh, realistic and beautiful uh, diagram for you. And here is the <laughs> initial picture. <laughs> so with my stupendous artistic ability, I wanted to show everyone that the observer or someone standing in the present moment represents now in this thought experiment. And I imagined, okay, so all these scientists say that time is happening all at once. So that means this present moment is happening now. And then that means the past is happening now. So I imagined the past as a, as a mirror. 
So if you take someone standing as the present moment, and then you take the past, and you say, well, they're both happening at once. This is the way that I imagined it. They're standing in front of the mirror. They're looking into the mirror. They can see their memories. So this complied with logic and symbolism, because we often literally say that we reflect on our past. And the thing is, you can't reach into the past, and you can't seem to change it, at least where we're at right now in terms of uh, our experience. And so I started to imagine, well, if time is linear, the way we've been taught, and it's all happening at once, then that must mean that on a timeline, our past and our future must be symmetrical. So I imagined the future as another mirror behind the observer. This, again, complied with metaphorical logic and symbolism because we currently cannot see the future from our standard perspective in human society. And so in that moment, I realized that the present moment between the two mirrors was infinitely reflected into the past and into the future, meaning that all of those moments were happening at once, something like this. And this is when I came up with the idea of chrono-concurrency. It's my own terminology for how time all happens at once. Chrono meaning time, concurrency meaning multiple events happening at the same time. And so what we learn through chrono-concurrency is pretty profound. And to be clear, I'm kind of going um, a little more in-depth than I did in my initial talk. And I think it's important for this because... What chrono-concurrency tells us is that on a single timeline in that thought experiment, everything is already there. We're just shifting through the moments to experience what it's like to perceive them and, and to have that uh, life experience for ourselves. But the thing is, that creates an interesting thing about free will. Because if we're just riding on a single timeline, then we could argue that there is no free will. And so I took it to the next level and I thought, well, if I'm able to perceive free will and I'm able to experience it, there's got to be more to this. So I took that single timeline and I realized if we multiply it infinitely around the observer, that this would account for every option that we could ever choose. If we are to have free will, then logically speaking, this is the only way that time can exist uh, in, in the sense of linear time. And so what this meant to me is that, oh my gosh, if every imaginable timeline that we could ever perceive is all happening right now, then that just means we are living in one reality out of infinite realities in which anything we can imagine is just as real as this one is, meaning there is no such thing as fiction. And that got me fired up because I started to think, you know, what, what else is possible out there? You know, maybe prophecies are real. And since then, I've realized that they are. Uh, because what we think is the vibration that we tap into. Uh, so that constitutes the reality that we experience. So this revealed to me that there was something bigger going on. And it had to do with a sphere. This led me to the creation of the idea of universal spatial pressurization. And what that is, essentially, is dark energy, dark matter, and gravity all coming together to 
reveal to the world that they're all really three aspects of the same phenomenon. And what USP led me to understand is something that Einstein actually brought up in the past, which was time dilation. So in unity theory, what we classically call time or linear time would be more accurate if we called it transformation. Since there is no definitive time as we have been taught, perceived linear time or our experience of it flows in accordance with the rate of our velocity through space. So that means the faster an energetic system moves through space, the faster it moves through perceived linear time. I'm an energetic system. This planet is an energetic system. Our solar system is an energetic system because everything is energy, frequency, and vibration. So this led me to some interesting realizations because I realized that my own father in this life gave me clues my entire upbringing, my childhood, for the realization I had next. He used to talk to me about the Anunnaki and planet Nibiru. And when I was growing up, I kind of just looked at my dad like, all right, dad, I, sounds cool. I don't know much about it, but um, uh, keep it up. <laughs> and what I realized in my awakening is that Nibiru, or what they refer to as Planet X, has been reported by various sources to have a massive energy density, or we could say uh, a massive, um, a massive level of gravity. So one source actually reported that it might have been the cause of the great flood in the Bible. So if this is the case, then imagine what technological capabilities the Anunnaki would have developed over perceived linear time. Going back a slide, we realize the faster an energetic system moves through space, the faster it moves through perceived linear time. And so the greater the gravity in unity theory, what we learn is the faster again we're moving through time. So what this said to me is that if Nibiru has, let's say, 20 times the gravity of Earth, then they are rocketing through perceived linear time in comparison to someone on Earth. So what kind of technology, how, how monumentally far and, and um, advanced would it be in comparison to humanity? So NASA even ex explains that this Nibiru, this planet X, or what they refer to as planet nine here, they, they even explain that this is very real. It says right here in an article right on NASA's website, there are now five different lines of observational evidence pointing to the existence of planet nine. If you were to remove this explanation and imagine planet nine does not exist, then you generate more problems than you solve. So just because it's not easy for our telescopes to see, there are clear gravitational anomalies that are showing that this planet nine is very real and that it's influencing uh, the gravity of the other planets within our solar system. So this led me to another sort of uh, dot that I had to connect to the whole story. In 1934, Royal Rife cured 16 out of 16 terminally ill cancer patients using resonance frequency technology he developed after hypothesizing that life forms resonate at certain frequencies. So I thought if these beings, let's say if it was the Anunnaki, were able to move through perceived linear time much faster than humans, imagine what technology they would have in terms of frequency technology. 
If you discover how to successfully influence any frequency at will, you gain the ability to alter any life form. When we look at the historical findings in the Sumerian uh, civilization, we can see that genetic manipulation of mankind is directly reported in their tablets. And truly, if you look and you search throughout all of history, there is absolutely no evidence of an evolutionary transition from Homo erectus or any other genus of the, the Homo family to Homo sapien. So what that tells us is that someone or something influenced our genetics to create humanity as it is today. And I thought to myself, you know, isn't that the plot of Prometheus? And so they actually show this stuff to us in the movies. They need to tell us the truth. And that all ties back to unity theory in the sense that if we are all the universe experiencing itself, then that means, that implies that we all can tap into the same power of creation, the same power of what reality we're experiencing. So in order for us to all be able to do that and for that to be possible is if somehow, some way, every individual is giving their permission to be on that timeline, to be in that experience. So that's why they have to tell us uh, to preserve our free will, what they're doing. But the thing is, they say that it's fiction, that it's not real. Well, what is unity theory explained to us through chrono concurrency? That there is no such thing as fiction. That if you can imagine it, not only is it possible, it already exists within the infinite moments of the universe. So this led me to realize that, well, we most likely have extraterrestrial life in our own solar system. Multiple planets in our solar system move faster through perceived linear time than Earth does because many of them have uh, faster orbits and they have higher gravities, which I would explain in different terms in unity theory. But essentially what this means is that these celestial bodies, they're rocketing through linear time in comparison to an observer on Earth. So that means civilizations could have risen and fallen on various other planets within our solar system. And depending on what period of linear time those civilizations rose, they could have had the exact same type of climate as Earth. So when we start to explore those planets using technology that we'll be developing over these next years and decades, we'll be able to find and uncover ancient civilizations. So this changes everything. This, this is clear scientific evidence that supports the idea that ET life could develop so phenomenally and become so technologically advanced that they would be capable of operating while going completely unnoticed by unaware humans. Which brings us to an important point. So, Merrily, if you would do me the honor by asking the question. What is the importance? Well, I'm glad you asked. The importance <laughs> is that this guy doesn't get it. Here we got Elon, you know, and his famous picture smoking a joint with Jill Rogan. Um, that's him going, you know, but Mars is like really cool. Um, <laughs> so he doesn't get it because what he's proposing to the public is completely nonsensical with the information that I'm proposing in unity theory. 
if he's trying to create a civilization on Mars, which we already have evidence of other civilizations and technology being on Mars and many sources point to them being active right now. So his story to the public is that he wants to create a human civilization on Mars. Well, the thing is, everything that I've learned is that there is a difference between the experience of linear time between here and there. Sure, they most likely have technology, because I can imagine it, um, that can account for these time differences. And so there can be operations that uh, coincide between our planet, Earth or Terra or Gaia, with Mars. But, but the main point is, is that at the public level, with the information that the collective consciousness of humanity has right now, there are basically two explanations for what Elon is doing. One, many people subscribe to this, is that he is choosing to do something very dark for humanity. Personally, it may not be a popular opinion. I don't think that he realizes what he's doing completely. So that leads us to option two. He just doesn't get it. He's not aware. He, he, he doesn't know that there are certain fundamental scientific truths uh, that he's yet to discover that would completely change his perspective. Um, I do think that he has a sort of uh, energy when it comes to what he wants to achieve that is more along the lines of the ways uh, or the ends justify the means. But from my perspective, I think what he's trying to do is actually within his own experience, what's best for everyone. Um, but the thing is, there's so many things that he is yet to discover, such as the whole artificial intelligence situation. He believes that we are to merge with AI because there's no way to stop it, which I agree with. It is being developed whether we like it or not. So, but since there's no way to stop it, he believes that we should join it and we should become one with it. And that's not something that I subscribe to or support. Um, I think that consciousness is the ultimate technology. That's something that each and every one of us already has access to. And so remembering our true gifts and our true innate capabilities will far surpass artificial intelligence. So that is another thing that would completely change Elon's perspective and trajectory with what he's trying to accomplish. So personally, I have a lot of compassion in my heart for Mr. Musk and I am doing everything I can to get this information out to the public so that he can adjust accordingly um, because I have faith that he's somehow, some way lost in the sauce or perhaps being misinformed and manipulated by the people around him. So this leads me to when my adventure began. And time isn't linear, so there really isn't um, any definitive beginning, but I'd like to start back when I was 16. That's when I was first starting to believe in pantheism and the idea that the universe and God are the same thing when it comes down to it. And being a starseed, looking back, I realized that I don't really fit into this reality. So I had to come up with a plan in order to become financially stable. And with everything that I had, with what I knew then, with what everybody was telling me in terms of needing to go to college, I decided that I was going to join the military. So I ended up joining an infantry unit as a combat medic and served for seven years. During my training and during um, my, my service, I 
started to see a lot of the patterns that went beyond just human biology. Um, and so that was really important for me and gaining more of my pattern recognition capabilities. And eventually I came to realize after a while that I didn't really fit into the army. Here's me sort of regretting my decision <laughs> at the time, but you know, I stuck to it and I, I got in, I did what I need to do and I got out and I am thankful because I learned inside that system exactly what not to do, <laughs> how not to lead, how not to inspire people, how to <laughs> essentially ruin morale was what I was taught for the most part <laughs> by my uh, sergeants and, and captains and whatnot. So, this is what I looked like at the beginning of 2021. This is when my journey officially began. And what I decided to do is I thought to myself, you know, this is profound. I was sitting here trying to write a science fiction novel. And the next thing I know, I'm starting to be able to further the work of people like Einstein. And I just, it was so hard for me to believe and to integrate at the time. And I explained it to my family, and they sure did not get it. <laughs> so uh, I decided, you know what, I need to figure out what's going on. I'm going to go on a walkabout. I'm going to go on a journey, an adventure to figure out what the truth is. And so I packed everything into my Ford Fiesta, and I hit the road. I packed supplies that I might need, such as camping supplies, basically everything you see in this example picture. And I ended up packing some food from just what I had in, in my apartment at the time. And I ended up hitting the road. And, you know, so far, so good. Nothing looks too crazy. And me being a ex-soldier, I ended up packing this bad boy. Well, in hindsight, when my family thinks I'm going crazy, this is probably not the best thing to pack in my uh, vehicle. So long story short, I ended up finding myself in Chicago, following my intuition. I was trying to get in contact with an old roommate and soldier um, uh, friend that I, I had known before, and I couldn't get through. So I decided I was going to get myself some Chicago-style pizza. You know, pizza is one of my favorite foods in this life, and so I wasn't really thinking much of it. And at the time, after sharing everything with my family, I really felt kind of like one of my predecessors or maybe the character from the movie Limitless. I just felt so alive and, and, and like I could see for the first time. I even kind of felt like this guy, but my family, they saw me more like this. <laughs> and uh, in hindsight, I, I see where they were coming from. <laughs> I really do. And so this led me to the Chicago incident because my family decided to call 911 for a wellness check. And so as I was looking through downtown Chicago for a good pizza joint, I'm suddenly surrounded by about a dozen police vehicles, including SWAT. You can see in these pictures the the officer standing right outside my window is holding an AR-15. Many of them were holding AR-15s. Many of them were holding pistols. Um, almost everybody that wasn't directly by my driver's side window was aiming directly center mass at me. They were screaming, talking about vectors of fire uh, so that they wouldn't open up friendly fire on their own officers. And they were 
yelling at me, telling me to get out of the vehicle, or they, they were literally threatening to kill me. And uh, here I was having an exchange. I was recording on my cell phone. You can actually uh, dig through my Facebook and find the, the only recording that survived that incident. And this officer um, is trying to explain to me why I need to do what he wants me to do. And I'm just not having it. I'm telling him, you know, we wouldn't treat people overseas like this as a soldier in the army. This violates the rules of engagement. I will not comply until you put your weapons away. I've done nothing wrong. I'm just here looking for some pizza. Like, I have no idea what's going on. And uh, the officer ended up yelling at me. He said, you better listen to me. And in that moment, with every cell of my being, I lit up with energy and I looked at him dead in the eyes and I said, no, you listen to me. And in that moment, every single officer lowered their weapons simultaneously and took a step back with jaws dropped, expressions telling me, who the heck are you? And in that moment, I realized that I did that. That was my creation. Somehow, some way, I tapped into an energy far greater than anything I had experienced. And looking back, I realized that I, it's not just me that has that ability because we are all the universe. We are all holodynamically entangled with the reality we're experiencing, meaning all of us can tap into that gift, that ability. And I really want every viewer that sees this to take that away, if nothing else. So... I had some pretty crazy experiences and by eventually, well, I digress. Right after I said that, the entire situation changed. They put their weapons away. They all, you know, stopped surrounding me and they sent over a sergeant to just friendly, uh, to, to communicate to me in a friendly way. And he was more like a father figure than anything else. And so that was me tapping into one of the infinite realities in which the exchange was much more peaceful. And so after complying with them, I went through some things. I didn't mention this at the Mount Shasta conference in order to save some time, but I basically went through one of the greatest mental examinations I've ever gone through. And the only way that I could get through and out the other end was by staying true to myself, staying heart-centered, and not allowing anyone or anything outside of me to trigger me. Because after that experience, I was forced through whatever legality they tried to impose upon me to go to the local emergency hospital. And when I went to that hospital, I talked to three ER doctors who all had a look at me. And every ER doctor said, oh, you're fine. You're going to go home tonight. <clears throat> Then, hear me out, I talked to one psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist immediately in our interview starts projecting onto me. He starts saying things that none of the doctors said, and he says to me, well, Isaac, you know, we're really concerned about your mental health because it seems like you're having a bit of mania. And I asked the psychiatrist, okay, what do you mean by mania? I don't quite know what you're talking about. This is something new to me. And he said, well, you're talking really fast and you're talking about these grand scientific ideas. And I cut him off right there. And I said, you mean to tell me 
that since you can't understand what I'm saying and you can't keep up with my speech, that I'm crazy? It sounds to me like you're projecting. And immediately the psychiatrist got nervous and, and he starts stuttering and he goes, whoa, whoa, uh, uh, uh. and I say, why are you stuttering? Are you nervous? What's going on here? And he stuttered some more. And I said, no, you're trying to get a rise out of me. You're trying to gaslight me and it's not going to work. We're done here. And I stayed calm and composed and he got up and like a sad puppy dog, he walked off. And I thought, you know, the other three ER doctors were, had my back. They said I was leaving that night. And then lo and behold, I'm getting carted off to the psych wing. And so while I was in there, they had ammonia soaked sheets and linens and uh, gowns. So every time I'd, I'd start to fall asleep, I'd be waking up immediately. And I was essentially awake for three days straight because of that. Then I was transferred to a state facility in order to prove my sanity, essentially. And some really profound things happened in there. So many things that I, I can't really take up too much time explaining them right now. But if anybody has ever seen the TV show, The OA on Netflix, my experience was almost identical to that show. <clears throat> and so... I stayed true to myself. They they tried to force feed me medicine that I didn't need. I said, no, I, I don't need that. Thank you for your concern. And I kept my head down and I was released. They could not prove that I was, you know, in their terms, mentally unwell. Because that's what the system does. That's what the agent smiths of the matrix of society are taught to do. They're taught to disempower starseeds. They're taught to uh, gaslight spiritual beings so that they think that they're crazy. But that's part of the system keeping itself in check. They're essentially acting as the uh, the anti-malware. They treat us, those with the truth, as a virus. And so that was something that I had to experience that was really profound, but also empowering, knowing that I controlled that whole construct in the sense of not Isaac, but the I am that I am that you are watching, the observer within me was the one being able to conduct what Isaac was experiencing in that situation just by staying heart-centered, just by choosing unconditional love and courage over fear at every opportunity. So I eventually got out and I started to follow my, my heart and my excitement. And that led me on an adventure back to this gentleman. So I, I went back to my Ann Arbor apartment. I packed everything up that I could pack up, canceled my lease, and my adventure continued. So as my adventure continued, I ended up traveling a thousand miles down to Austin, Texas. As I was traveling, all these signs and synchronicities started appearing on my YouTube account, just through the algorithm seemingly. And before I knew it, I was stumbling across something called Starseeds. And the Starseed videos were explaining to me all these various things that were happening both on the planet and in the galactic arena or the galactic story that's unfolding. And I started to learn more about Pleiadians and Arcturians and Syrians and Lyrans. And before I knew it, I was just hitting video that felt uh, video after video that just felt right. And sometimes I would even accidentally hit a video that I didn't mean to click on, but I would trust that I was supposed to hear what I was hearing. 
And in one of the videos, I heard a reptilian woman talking to an interviewer. And although their their voices were digitized, it felt like the information was rather resonant and that it would it might have been true. And then I accidentally just clicked on a recommended video and it it brought up this two minute clip that was about two U.S. Uh, I think Air Force pilots or or just pilots in general that were talking to someone over the radio exclaiming, you know, hysterically, oh my gosh, we just saw this UFO pass right by us. It looked like this torpedo, like a cigar shape. And I realized that that shape of the UFO was just described in the previous interview with the reptilian woman. So I was realizing, wow, this is real information. The universe is telling me that I can trust it. And so that's what I did. And I came across some other starseed videos that were giving me pretty profound feedback philosophically onto, you know, in what I was experiencing in my awakening. And as I was driving through Texas, rural Texas, mind you, I started to run out of gas. And if anybody watching has ever traveled through Texas, you do not want to run out of gas in rural Texas. <laughs> it's going to be miles and miles until the next gas station. So I put into my GPS, you know, inform me, notify me at this next gas station so I can fill up. And for some reason, as I was traveling through that little town or, or city, I was redirected by my GPS and uh, a detour from construction to, and I just missed it. There was no notification that I was missing it. There was no thing telling me to turn around. And so I just kept going and it took me about 15 miles before I realized, you know, I've been driving on zero miles to empty for about 20 miles now. So this is not looking good. And for the first time in my life, even though I've run on zero miles to empty, probably over 50 times at least in my life, never ran out of gas. For the first time, as a Starseed video uh, channeling is explaining to me uh, forgiveness and our parallel lives, the channeler says, Starseed, you will not be able to move forward unless you forgive yourself in this life and across all other lives. And right then and there, I ran out of gas. And so I did what any other normal, sane human being would do under these extraordinary circumstances. And I started bawling. I was like, what the heck is going on? God, this is how we're going to do this. You're going to make me run out of gas just to get this point across. And up until then, because of my awakening, I felt all of these emotional memories. They weren't actual memories of experiences that I had, but they were feelings that were coming up. And I had felt that I had made mistakes in other lives and that this life I was going to atone for those mistakes by making up and serving the world in a, a higher capacity. And I, I, I thought of this and in my heart, the answer came to me and said, Isaac, no, you can't go out and achieve these things so that you can finally forgive yourself. You must be able to forgive yourself now so that you can go out and achieve these things. So I said, okay, universe, I get that. I get this. I can't move forward unless I forgive myself. So I will move forward under one condition that I will eventually remember the things that I've done in my parallel lives and that I will 
have remorse for those things. I will remember what I've done so that I can move forward in the greatest good of myself and the greatest good of the all. And as I said some similar thing to this, the the clouds literally parted in this other picture. And to me, I've never seen something like that. The, the clouds literally went different ways. And so to me, that was the universe responding, the universe saying, yes, that is what we needed. Now you are opening up. That's what the clouds did. They were reflecting my experience. I was opening up to the light that was within me. And so after about 15 minutes of trusting and having faith in the universe, a police officer ended up just happened to be driving by, had a gas tank in the back of their truck. And they filled me back up to about a quarter tank and I was able to continue my travels. I mean, what are the chances of that happening? So this led me to the next incident that happened in Austin here at Tesla Giga Texas. So I showed up to the front gate with this, this great uh, presentation prepared for anyone really in Tesla. I, I didn't actually expect to get an audience with Elon Musk right off the bat. I mean, you show up to a big company and nobody knows who you are, they're going <laughs> to be a little confused. So I start explaining the situation to the security guards. And at first, they seem really calm, really, you know, a normal, I would say, reaction. And then they asked me what my name is. And I, I say, well, I'm Isaac Mars. And immediately, I don't know if they thought my name was weird or if they somehow knew who I was, but immediately everything changed. And they, they said, you have to leave right now. And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? They said, you have to leave right now or we're going to call the police. Like That's the next thing that they went to. So in my reaction, I was like, that is not normal. This is strange. Why would they be reacting this way? And I, I explained to them, well, can I at least have somebody else's phone number? I don't need to talk to Elon. I could talk to one of his supervisors, you know, lower supervisors. And they said, no, you have to leave right now or we're calling the police. So I thought to myself, well, bad attention is better than no attention. So I decided to just stay there and peacefully park, trying to reach out to anyone that was leaving on the night shift um, to get their attention, to to try and have someone reach out to either Elon or to one of the managers, supervisors within the company so that I could get an audience with someone or at least a phone number. And so that didn't work. And very, very quickly, the police arrived. And within a few minutes, they were able to get my driver's side window down. And um, I, I really tried everything to to get some attention. I even put my arm into my steering wheel and they tried to rip me out of my vehicle. And then it, it just got down to the point where the officer pulled out a taser and was aiming it right at me. He's like, you want to go this way or you want to go the other way? <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right, all right, I surrender. And so I ended up in this place. Well, a place that looked very much like this. Um, one of the county jails in Austin. And the most profound things continued to happen. I mean, the universe was listening to me and in my awareness that I knew that it could communicate with me. 
Because if I am inseparable from the reality around me, then that means my reality can have a response to my consciousness. And that's what we learn in unity theory. So when I got into my cell, I started seeing signs um, written on the wall, like protect your mind and serve God. And to me, this is what I was doing. I was learning my power. I was realizing that I was the one that dictated what I experienced. And what I was here to do was to share this information because of how empowering it is with the rest of the world. That's how I was serving the universe. And so I felt reassured by these messages. And then uh, on another part of the wall, I found something that was this random scribbling of letters. And I had no idea what it meant, but it was really etched in there. Like they, they really put a lot of emphasis, whoever was in that cell, to write these letters in a certain order. But to me, it didn't make any sense. So what I remember it sounding like was metting aria. And it was one word, and it was this collection of letters, M-E-T-T-I-N-G-A-R-E-E-A. And so since I really didn't have much else to do at the time, I decided to rearrange the letters because uh, I discovered that anagrams hold certain hidden meanings within a word or a name. Um, And so I rearranged them intuitively and without even trying very hard, I came up with regain ET team. That was the first coherent thing that I reorganized the letters to. And so to me, this was pretty profound because I had not even really considered extraterrestrial life that much up until my awakening, up until going out on my adventure, my walkabout experience. And so I began contemplating what this would mean in my experience. And I just had this bolstering of faith that if, if we do have some sort of extraterrestrial team supporting us, that everything's going to be okay, not because they're going to save us or do all the work for us, but because they are there just to support. And we can know that fundamentally there is nothing to fear, uh, another key aspect of unity theory. So with one of the only books that I had in my cell regularly, I would open it up to random pages to see if there was a message for me. And that was the Bible. So the the page that I opened up to happened to have Revelation 2.10. And I began reading, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And then on the 10th day, without any explanation, all charges were dropped and I was released. And then I realized, oh my God, the universe is a mirror. (laughs) I, I started to stumble across videos like the 12 universal laws. And I realized that what we put out, the universe reflects back to us. This is seen in many Eastern philosophies. This is seen within science uh, reported by people like Bruce Lipton and Greg Braden, who I, I respect deeply. And I started to stumble across this YouTube channel, The Universe Inside You. I recommend it. Um, this was the video in which I learned about the 12 universal laws. And I, I started to learn more about 
universal laws and the Kybalion, which is another interpretation of the 12 universal laws. They're just a little bit um, condensed. So in the Kybalion, the first law is mentalism, um, meaning that the universe is mental. And what that means to me is that the universe is holodynamic. Well, how do we experience our reality? How do I experience you and my own body and everything around me? Well, it all exists within my mind. So therefore, that makes sense to me, the, the law of mentalism. And so as I went forward with this knowledge, I started thinking, uh, for the people that want to have extraterrestrial experiences, what experience do you want to attract? What do you want the universe to reflect back to you? Do you want a fearful extraterrestrial experience or do you want a loving extraterrestrial experience? Because if there are infinite realities, infinite moments through which we're shifting through to experience life, then that means essentially all we need to know is do we want low vibration, fear, or do we want high vibration, love? It's that simple. So what we put out is what we'll get back. Everything corresponds to our vibration. And this is huge for reality. This is huge for the collective consciousness of humanity. Because what we learn with the science, this spirituality, this knowing, this truth, is that all of us are coming together to create the collective consciousness, the collective experience that's unfolding on this planet. So are we going to continue to choose fear, which leads to survival mentality, which leads to war and abuse and murder? Or are we going to choose love, which leads to abundance, which leads to prosperity and peace and joy? That's what we can learn. That's what Einstein really was referring to when he said that the uh, reality we're experiencing is a product of our thinking. In order to change the reality we're experiencing, we must be willing to start thinking more positively, not just externally to make ourselves look good, not not in terms of narcissism, but in terms of true conscious creation within ourselves, loving ourselves, being peaceful and forgiving to ourselves in every moment. And so my adventure continued after that experience, and I started choosing unconditional love. And so as I continued to choose unconditional love, first towards myself and then towards everything and everyone else, I ended up getting a travel partner and we decided to head towards Arkansas to visit a quartz crystal cavern during an awesome full moon that was coming up at the time. And so we just started heading west because that's where Arkansas is, right? Well, no, that's where Arizona is. <laughs> and so he was a little confused. I was a little confused. Um, I wasn't using a map. I was just following my intuition. And so we realized that's where we were supposed to be. And somehow, some way, we ended up in this beautiful place, Sedona, Arizona, the place where the red rocks bubble up from the earth. And as soon as we arrived, all these magical things started happening. Synchronicities, left and right, things that were very deeply personal to me uh, were coming up, showing me I was meant to be there. I started having some profound experiences, such as seeing my parallel life faces. I was able to see that I was at one point a Iron. I was at one point a reptilian. I was even a draconian. And I don't shy away from telling people that because in this life, I really do choose love over fear. 
And so I have a lot of compassion for these other races, these other beings. Um, so I began to realize that many of us have many different galactic heritages and hail from different star nations. Many of us have all these different alien extraterrestrial lives that we're actually all experiencing right now because everything is happening at once. And so as all these synchronicities and profound experiences happened to me, I started to notice a very clear pattern. What started with a Mount Shasta trailer and eventually ended up leading to Shasta Cola appearing in these random places and seeing bumper stickers left and right giving me messages like life is better in the mountains and head to the mountains. I said, okay, universe, I'm listening. And so me and a few of my soul brothers at the time decided to journey off to this beautiful place, Mount Shasta, California, where I'm at right now, actually. And that's when something very profound happened to me. I had my own extraterrestrial contact experience. And not only did I have this experience, but my close friend and brother, Nathan Lindsay, had the experience as well. You can actually find Nathan on his YouTube channel, Vibes and Frequencies, spelled with an N instead of and. And many people call him the Moldavite guy because he was talking about Moldavite before Moldavite even got big, even within the spiritual communities, I'd say. And so on the evening of August 6th, 2021, me and Nathan had our contact experience in which he documented as well. So we were looking up at the stars together and we were up probably two thirds of the way on the top of Mount Shasta camping out for the night. We just felt called to go up there. We didn't know what was going to happen or what we were doing. If we were just going to hang out and sleep on the mountain, I mean, we didn't have any expectation whatsoever. And as we were laying up out there, he points up to a star and he says, that's UFO. And I look at it and I'm like, uh, Nathan, are you sure? It just looks like a star to me. And he said, no, that's definitely a UFO. It's moving. And so I start to reason internally with myself and I basically have this dialogue with my ego logical mind. And I'm like, okay, maybe my eyes are moving. Maybe he's seeing something that I'm not. And I realized, okay, no, you know, let's shelve all of that. No, no logic, no reasoning as to why this isn't happening. I trust my brother, Nathan. So I'm going to see what happens. And so I just fully trusted the universe in that moment. And then I started to see it move too. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. It is moving. And so Nathan and I had just recently, up until that moment, watched Stephen Greer's documentary, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And in experiences detailed in that movie, they telepathically and verbally communicated to these UFOs that they were interacting with. So I got the idea. I said, Nathan, ask it to do something. And so Nathan goes, please, if you are up there and you are of love, will you make a circle for us? And lo and behold, the, the star, the ship starts making a circle. And we both lose our minds. We're like, oh my gosh, we're playing with aliens right now. And it was just such a profound experience. And so we kept talking to it. We asked it to make so many different shapes. I mean, we thank you 
to whatever being that was because they were <laughs> very patient with us as we were learning how much bigger the universe really is. And as we were interacting with this one ship, we started noticing other ships that were in these lines of three or in triangular shapes, equal, equilateral triangles. And we started to see even these these ships just phase in and like sort of teleport instantaneously out of nowhere. And before we knew it, we were, you know, probably after 11, 30, 12 at night, having a full conversation with all of these stars in the sky. And it got to the point where we were asking some pretty big questions. And Nathan would ask me, who do you think's up there? And I, I said, well, I think it's the Galactic Federation. And when I'd say something like that, all of the ships in the sky would brighten up and then dim as if to say, ding, ding, you're correct. And then he asked me another question. He said, uh, well, what star nations, what, what species do you think are up there? And then I'd say, well, I think all of them are. Our whole family's here. And then they'd brighten up again to indicate that was what was true. And before we knew it, it was probably one 1.30 in the morning, and they had not only brightened up their ships, but they had changed the colors of their ships. And they started, um, they started to create these like conga lines where they were being playful and dancing and, and shifting their ships in these beautiful shapes for us. And we were just blown away. And I was talking to Nathan about it and it's like, man, we have this huge galactic force. I mean, we're looking up in the sky and every star is moving. There had to have been at least a thousand or more ships, an entire fleet interacting with two of us down on earth to show that they're here to support us. And, you know, if there was a force that great and they were malicious, I mean, it would be game over. So they have to philosophically, logically be a reflection of us. And, that love that I feel within me that I also feel within Nathan that pulled us together in this lifetime is what we were experiencing on the galactic level. And so what this tells me is that there are thousands to millions to maybe even billions of galactic star brothers and sisters up in our skies holding space for us so that we can do our shadow work as a collective consciousness. And that is so beautiful to me. That's so profound that they're just there. Just like, all right, you got it, guys. You got it, humanity. Come on, mankind. We, we believe in you. And so after a, a little bit of, you know, playing and interacting with them, they, they had this other ship phase in. And for some reason, these four little, what looked to me from that, you know, vantage point at the time, like little X-Wings from Star Wars, these little red X-wings came out of the ship and Nathan was like, what do you think they're doing? Cause it was completely different from anything that they had done so far. And I may have been channeling at the time, but the, the thing that came out of my mouth was, I think they're upgrading us. And so in that moment, the the four red ships shot out from the white ship that phased in and shot across the sky, creating lines of light, which said to me that they were moving faster than the speed of light because I could literally see the contrails of their ship creating these lines. And when they did that, it was so fast and so powerful that Nathan and I both went like, whoa, off of the ground. 
laying on our sleeping bags. And he was like, did you feel that? Like that wave of energy that just pulsed through us. And it was just so profound. And so essentially that's my uh, ET contact experience. And again, it was with another person. It's, It's verifiable. And ever since then, almost every night I've been having reoccurring contact. So for me, when I look up at the sky, I almost always intuitively find one of these let's call them starships. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're, they're up there hanging out with the stars, holding space. And so I look up at one of these starships and one thing that they'll do, especially if I'm feeling down or it's been a heavy day, they will teleport their ships around really quick and then go back to where they were positioned because they know that's like my favorite thing that they do. And, and so they, they like to play with me. They like to make circles and go back and forth and wiggle their ships and I really think that I was given this experience so that I could share it with others. You know, I, I implore all of you watching this, try it yourself, follow your intuition, feel it, but know that if you doubt, if you have fear, if you have anything low vibrational that you're holding on to, you may not have the same experience. But if you have a innocent wonder, if you have a curiosity and a playfulness and a, a love about it, then you just might be able to tap into a similar or, you know, identical experience to what I had. And since then, I've had other profound experiences. I was guided through a shamanic ceremonial experience uh, with a close brother of mine who's who's a very impressive sh- uh, shaman, although he wouldn't say so himself, which is exactly why I trust him. And... Um, through these certain uh, experiences, I was guided to a mind state in which I was interacting with being after being. I mean, just their consciousnesses were coming into me and moving out of me. It was like, essentially what I experienced was being in an old folks home and I was walking through the old folks home and then all of my friends and family members were like peeking around from behind the doors like, hey, it's good to see you. You're doing a great job. And then they would kind of disappear out of my consciousness again. And uh, I went into that mind state about three times and released a lot of fear that I had still been holding on to that I wasn't fully conscious of. And on the third journey in to that mind state, I was in a higher octave frequency. I literally went up to what I imagine was the fifth dimension. And these, what I believe to be Arcturians were surrounding me with these tablets that had no numbers or symbols on them, but just like these bar graphs of vibrations. And they were all around me. They brought in these lights all around me to work on my body energetically. And I felt nothing but love and and compassion from them. And I ended up getting a vision telepathically downloaded that told me that every single one of us, you know, starseed, lightworker, and even those that don't plan on having that experience, we all have our own ships that are right above us. In my um, telepathic experience, mine looked like this, this disc shape. And so what I was told telepathically, which is, it's not like speaking in words, it's like you just get a knowing and... Um, a packet of information that you kind of unfold in your own way. And so I saw an image of this disc-shaped ship hovering above me where I was. And the information that I received is that the ship and this team is always with me. But if I choose fear, then there's nothing that they can do. 
But with their heightened technology and their ability to do things behind the scenes without being noticed, um, they can help me if I'm choosing courage and love. And I tell you what, I 100% believe this because with what I'm bringing to the table, one of my fears when I first came across unity theory and the knowledge I had uncovered is that this knowledge could help liberate humanity from suffering. They kill people for this knowledge because if we're kept in a low vibrational state, then we can be manipulated easily and controlled. But if we learn our true power, then no, nothing and nobody can control us on the collective level. And so if they wanted to kill me, they would have done it by now. If, um, if they wanted to hack into my computer and remove my book or delete it against my will, they would have done it by now. So I know that we are all protected, but only if we believe it, only if we choose to have that faith. And so uh, we're coming up on the end of my presentation, but what I've learned is that we are not alone, that there are example after example after example of these UFOs uh, extraterrestrial experiences happening all across the planet. And it's getting to the point where it, they cannot be covered up anymore. I mean, as far as I'm aware, this has been happening throughout all of the 1900s. There are even some stories that predate uh, that era. And we're, we're starting to see physical, tangible, visual evidence of it now. And so in with that being said, I want you all to know that you are not alone that I am here for all, that we are in this together. This is very real. Extraterrestrials do exist. I mean, statistically speaking, it's an inevitability. So know that everything is going to be okay because everything is determined by our vibration. And if anybody ever needs to seek me out for any spiritual guidance, you can reach out to me through my website, thecrimsoneagle.com. And know that I am a very loving, compassionate person. So, again, thank you so much, Marilee, for having me on this show. And that's the end of my presentation. <laughs> All right. But we're not going to let you escape this fast. <laughs> oh, not yet. Dang it. <laughs> that was lovely. And, folks, we're going to have him back for part two also, where he will explain more the science behind it again in his beautifully um understandable way that can take people who are just beginners in this topics all the way to advanced it's one of the things i so appreciated about you first i just wanted to tell those folks listening to your wonderful mount shasta story where you still are that um most know this but you need to know that mount shasta forever has been an intergalactic spaceport Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it's left over from Lemuria, the West coast of California, Mount Shasta and Hawaiian islands are kind of what's above the water and ground. So many mm -hmm. people who are attracted to live in those areas often have a lot of strong Lemurian connections. And, mm -hmm. uh, so it's one of the reasons that multiple people have contact when you're open, uh, like that. And you mentioned Stephen Greer. I took his ambassador training up there too. So oh, it, was, cool. it was lots of fun. So it's perfect that I met you there initially or re-met you, shall we say. Right. So um, the uh, one, there's so many things I enjoyed about this. Uh, you and I both have strengths in pattern recognition. And my soul language is more metaphorical. And I, I can so relate 
and understand what you teach because of those two incredible skills in you, the metaphorical logic and the pattern recognition. Can you um, just explain that a little bit more to people about what those things are and how they're important in the learning process? Sure. So let, let's let's think about the the wonderful book and movie, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So the, the whole plot of that story is what is the meaning of life? And we find out by the end of the plot, you know, uh, spoiler alert, that it's 42. And so in computer code, in this reality, what 42 equates to is an asterisk. And an asterisk is a symbol for what you want something to mean. So basically, the, the way that we experience reality is we give meaning to everything that we experience. So this is where symbolism um, and maybe even symbology, the, the study of symbols becomes important because metaphors are essentially another way of using symbolism in language to explain and determine things. That's why a lot of the experiences that we have that are a reflection of our consciousness is very metaphorical and symbolic. Like when I had the, the heart opening experience and forgave myself on the road in Texas and the clouds literally did the same thing. They parted and the light came through. So noticing the symbols is really important when we're trying to connect the web of life together to see where everything connects to everything else. And that's where pattern recognition comes into account. Um, pattern recognition is a, an important skill for me personally, because what reality really is, is patterns within patterns within patterns. The only way that I see you, Marilee, as a woman is because you fit the patterns that I've been taught a woman is supposed to fit in my reality, in my experience. And the same thing for me. I, you know, I can only know that this is a jacket because it follows the same patterns that a jacket follows in the creation and the, um, you know, the, the materials that went into it. And so everything is patterns basically. And so when we bridge symbolism and patterns together, then we get a story and that story is our experience. That story is what Isaac Mars is. That story is what humanity and mankind is. That story is why we're doing this. Because at the end of the day, well, I don't, I don't know about everyone, but for me, life is pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's fun to have a story and to be a character. And a lot of people, I'm, I'm just going off on a tangent a little bit, but a lot of people try to fight the ego or to kill the ego in spirituality. And to me, it's like, why would I do that? I made Isaac Mars for a reason <laughs> to have this fun, to laugh and, and to experience. So. And speaking of Isaac Mars uh, and Crimson Eagle, uh, tell us how that name came about and what Crimson Eagle represents to you. Sure. So uh, to be clear, I was born Isaac Andrew Marsh. So I had that H at the end of my name, but uh, after the military and being called Marsh far more often than I wanted to be <laughs> called, uh, it kind of became my like slave name in a way. And uh, also a, a very personal thing happened with my father and his health. And, and so the name just kind of didn't feel right with me anymore. And I felt that 
I wanted to become my own person. And to do that, I just knocked the H off and it felt so much more resonant. Um, and up until that point in my life, I'd been wearing a red jacket. So it just kind of went along with the energy um, in my experience. In fact, uh, my one of my most important relationships um, had told me that her true love wore a red jacket in many of her parallel life memories. And so the red jacket before that experience was just um, something that I just happened to be wearing. But after she told me that, I was like, no, this is part of me. Like, <laughs> this is part of who I am. And so um, it means a lot to me. And then when it came to the formulation of my moniker, the Crimson Eagle, I thought about who I am. And I looked at this from many different perspectives, many different metaphors and analogies and patterns, symbols. And I really resonated with the eagle. And so the eagle can have that bigger picture of awareness. And uh, I felt like that. That's what I can bring to the table for the rest of mankind. And with the red jacket and learning more about the chakra system, I thought, you know, this is a perfect way to take the eagle, which represents spirituality, and, and the earthly realm, the root chakra, the red, and bridging it together. And thus the crimson eagle was born. And then um, one of my close friends uh, who works with sacred geometry, he actually made the symbol that I use. And I'm really thankful for that. And it just feels like me. It feels like it's all been divinely guided. It does. It does. So many, so many thoughts come up as you talk. Thank you for sharing that. Cause that's really fascinating um, that you took the H off and it ends Mars. Right. And so many beings incarnated here from Mars, mm. the disaster, plus Mars are warriors mm-hmm. and typically very aggressive. Plus, um, what what's your take on the reaction at Elon Musk? Because Elon works for many private top secret contractors, all kinds of different things. Right. So I think the Mars name, plus they may have already known you. As soon as you were born, you know, scan the DNA, et cetera. But I think the Mars just triggered him. What, what's your take about the reaction when they found out your name? So, I, I like I said, I don't really care what people think about me and, and what I share. In my reality, I know of Project Looking Glass. Yes. I know that these organizations know already full well what characters are going to come forward in this uh, yeah. earthly play and make changes and, you know, make some waves. I had this feeling that they just, they were waiting for that moment. They were waiting for me to show up and to, to push me away. But what they didn't realize probably at their level is that by putting me in jail, it led to so much more confirmation and validation in my own experience. And so uh, it was just, all about showing me my own power and in learning um, how everything is going on in the world. But uh, another interesting thing to note is that I had no idea about this, you know, swear on my life, you know, on my, my name, on everything, that uh, apparently a couple of years ago, Tesla released a Mars uh, trailer for their mission to go to Mars. Yes. And my friend sent it to me and he's like, is your name fake? 
And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And I'm like, no, it's not fake. I knocked the H off, but what are you talking about? He sent me this Tesla commercial. Anybody watching this can look it up. And um, lo and behold, when you pull it up, it shows their Mars station. And the name of the station is Isaac Mars Station. Whoa! Oh my God, that's so important you shared that. <laughs> oh my God. Like, so, like, so you're pumping from future to past to all over the place. Oh, that's right. so cool. It, it's like they're, they are manifesting me without even knowing it. And uh, I mean, I mentioned this in my presentation at the conference that one night, I don't know why, it wasn't a particularly eventful night or anything, but in one night, I had three back-to-back dreams of, of Elon. And the first one, I was like meeting him for the first time. I, was, I had some nerves, uh, shaking his hand and everything. The second time, it was a more relaxed setting, and I was explaining my science to him. And the third dream, all in the same night, uh, he was like, in pajamas cooking toast in a pan and we were just hanging out <laughs> so it was like i can see all those realities with him yeah, yeah yeah it makes sense you know that is oh my god that is that is so cool yeah so i kind of view him as this reality's tony stark or iron man so yeah let, let's Good let's point. all let's all hold space for him and show him some compassion so he'll play that role because that's a way better role than yes than, the direction we're headed down. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 it is. He's complex for sure. Um, <clears throat> now, you mentioned the term holodynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, ta-da. Book you recommended. <laughs> um, Best book I've ever read. Just putting that out there. Okay. And um, so just briefly describe to people uh, what holodynamic means. Okay. So holodynamic is a phrase coined by Dr. Victor Vernon Wolf, who's a close friend of mine. Uh, he lives in the Verde Valley area where I, I live in Sedona. And we've had some really profound exchanges and conversations. And he, before I explain what holodynamic means, he actually read my book in a day and I asked him about it. I was like, what do you think about unity theory? And he pauses for a second and he looks at me and he says, well, it's not a theory. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) That's all he said. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) And uh, he ended up uh, writing a review, which I'll be having on my website soon. Um, But he supports my work and it's, it's really profound because what he uncovered in the 90s after having some pretty galactic experiences himself um, he realized that the universe is holodynamic, meaning the whole dynamic, hollow meaning whole, exists within every single piece of information. So, you know, the molecule in this laptop is is the universe in the same way that I'm the universe and in the same way that the sun is the universe. I mean, it's all holodynamic. And so uh, through holodynamics, Dr. Wolf created these concepts that were able to solve basically any problem in reality. He uses uh, terms and phrases like phase spacing. So phase spacing is when you look at something from a completely uh, objective third person perspective. And that was the first time I ever figured out how I was able to come up with unity theory. I had used phase spacing without knowing what it was by looking at the universe from a 
a more removed, less human perspective. And so that was profound. And then he uses something called tracking, which I, I use in my spiritual guidance, that is when somebody is able to be a sort of mirror for somebody else. You can do it by yourself, but it's much better to do in uh, groups or with at least one-on-one. And so let's say if you had an issue, Marilee, that was reoccurring in your life, say, let's say, and, and this is just a hypothetical thing, but let's say there are many bullies that are coming at you, trying to bully you. Um, what we would do is we would use tracking to say, okay, uh, let's, let's think about this type of energy, these bullies. Let's, let's talk to them in our consciousness to see what the problem is and see what the root cause of it is. And so this can work with bullies. This could work with allergies. It can work with cancer. It can work with, um, you know, a relationship, trying to figure out what the root cause is. And so Dr. Wolf explains every person in reality as a holodyne. A holodyne is his term in which essentially means it's a living hologram. So in your consciousness, Marilee, there is a holodyne of Isaac Mars. And let's say there's something that I have a gift for that you don't necessarily have that same gift in your incarnation, but you need to use it. So yes. you, you tap into the Isaac Mars holodyne that lives within you, and I'm able to immediately influence your reality by still playing the role of Merrily, but having the energy of Isaac pull through. And so it's really beneficial for us to what Dr. Wolf would describe as uh, mature our holodynes. If we have a bunch of holodynes or family members, friends that are abusive living in our consciousness, well, how are we going to allow those holodynes to influence our reality? We may treat ourselves with abuse. And so essentially we can use tracking to determine the root cause in the case of the bullying is because we're bullying ourselves. You know, that's where the it's the energy is originating from. And once you graduate that lesson, then you no longer have to experience it. Or if you do experience it, you're at least uh, gifted with the awareness and the ability to overcome it very easily. Yes. Beautifully, beautifully said. This is so exciting. <laughs> I want people to know that one of the many skills that Isaac has is as a spiritual guidance. So mm-hmm. he's also available for that, which will uh, re-give you the contact information for him and and uh, how you can avail yourself from that. So I wanted you to get little samples of spontaneous questions and the wisdom that he knows. I would like to reinforce for the audience, because many with certain religious programmings and everything else, um, we all have to forgive ourselves. And the, the programming is the forgiveness comes from outside you. Mm. So when you were in the car, right, you know, like, it's like doing deals with God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way of putting it, actually. You know, like, you're doing deals with God. Most people <laughs> have to do that first. I'll be really good yeah. <laughs> if I don't do this, right? I have to 100% forgive myself, right? Mm-hmm. And then the whole, the whole pattern changes. Everything changes. And not only that, but my experience and my my knowledge, and I've had people verify this, even though it's controversial, is it neutralizes karma. Mm. If you know you're multidimensional, karma is kind of a linear thing based on learning, blood and learning. And now it's like passe, if I could say that. 
And if you know you're multidimensional and you've forgiven yourself and all others, you are like nullifying that through time and space. Right. As long as you go ahead. Right. So uh, <laughs> what's your comments on that? So I, I agree with that. I, I believe my, my take on karma is that karma is very simple. All it is, is the energy we're holding right now in this moment. So if you are transforming an ancestral karma, let's say, a lot of people like to say that in the spiritual community. Um, some of them I feel like don't really know exactly what they're saying, because to me what they're saying is their, their parents treated them a certain way and they were passed down that energy and the parents before their parents did the same thing and it goes on this huge long chain of ancestors. But the thing is, the only thing that's keeping that pattern going on is the person experiencing that pattern still. So like you said, if we address it and transform it and transmute that energy into a higher vibrational level, boom, right there, that karma has been uh, not only, it's not nullified, it's actually transformed into an energy that is beneficial to us. So when we are forgiving, why it's opening up all those new channels and avenues and timelines to be able to dive down head first is because it's, it's activating your potential. As Dr. Wolf would uh, describe it, it's potentializing your reality. Um, whereas when we are disempowered, we're like a, a, a small flower bud that's just, you know, barely awake. But then the second that we start to potentialize, we start to blossom and open up into this beautiful lotus flower. And so um, that I think that's a great way of explaining it. Well, so is yours. Thank you for the extra clarity on that. Now, you did mention phasing, right? Phasing. Mm -hmm. And that's an amazing skill, a multidimensional skill. Uh, I was just talking to a, um, a super soldier uh, the other day that has amazing facial face through walls and all, all this kind of thing has an amazing ability, but we could use it in a sense of that we phase into parallels and different options for ourselves. So describe people, two people uh, and our audience a little bit about phasing what you mean by that. Yeah. So like you said, there are a few different applications for the term phasing, but in regard to my ET contact experience, it was as if they were vibrationally phasing from one channel and one one moment in which they were right here and then instantaneously their consciousness was moved to another location. Some would call that teleportation. Uh -huh. So that's what I experienced in my ET contact. But like you said, there are many ways to phase in our existence. And I would say that from a philosophical perspective, we're constantly phasing in and out of realities. I mean, we're doing it right now just by talking and moving around. Uh, the paradox in, in which uh, we're experiencing this is that you could consider it that we're riding one single timeline right now and at the same time, and we're also shifting through infinite different timelines to create this experience. Beautifully said. I know, I think Bashar, uh, a character, Essasani, a uh, hybrid online that many people know, he said something, if I have this right, that we jump parallels 95,000 times a second. That's like our capacity. It's like huge, you know, just checking options or whatever, you know, it's, a, it's just amazing. Now, let's delve into a little bit more the 
paradox of free will and destiny. All right. <laughs> so this is a pretty heavy one. So this actually was really influential in my experience because it it was the the moment that I was liberated from suffering. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, literally from that point forward, I realized that if I was suffering, I was choosing it. And therefore, I would never choose it again because as a Virgo, why would I do that? <laughs> and, um, and so what I realized is that in the single uh, mirror experiment timeline, just the one timeline, everything was predetermined. Uh, in unity theory, I, I bring up a uh, phys- physicist, I think, John Bell, if I'm getting the name right, and he created the Bell's Inequalities. So he said the only, uh, the only way to disprove his idea on his inequalities, which supported quantum mechanics, was through superdeterminism. And so unity theory uses superdeterminism, but we could say on the quantum scale, the infinite scale. So there are infinite realities, which are all super deterministic, meaning they're just a a set chain of events that continue to affect each other. And basically someone pushed a domino and it created the whole timeline, but there are infinite of these. So the free will paradox is that if you view our life as a single timeline, then everything's already determined. I cannot reach the end of my life in the same way that a train can't can't reach its destination unless all the tracks are already laid. So all of the moments up to the end of my life have to already exist. And so, but the thing is, there are infinite variations of what I experience as Isaac. So that's where my free will lies. I determine which timeline I'm riding, which timeline I'm experiencing. And that's already been proved. What is the Mandela effect? We, I lived in a reality when I was a kid where Mandela had died long before I was born. But then, uh, you know, I want to say 10 years ago or so, somebody was like, oh, yeah, he's, he's alive and kicking. And I'm like, what? Like, and, and the same thing happened with the Berenstein Bears. It was always spelled. I had the Berenstein Bears on my childhood bookshelf. I would read it to myself. My parents would read it to me sometimes before bed. And it was spelled B E R. Um, E-N-S-T-E-I-N. But now it's spelled S-T-A-I-N, the Berenstain Bears. That that just doesn't even sound right to me. (laughs) And so what those things mean is that on the collective level, we have shifted timelines to a new timeline that is greater for what we're all experiencing together. Um, so it, it was more beneficial to have Nelson Mandela live till 2013. It was more beneficial to have these certain things line up so that the experience we're having now is more true to what we have chosen. All right. So Isaac, um, I know for sure that you're going to be a very, very important pivotal leader. And you're an example of an amazingly old soul in a young body who is helping the next movement of all people, but also the youth learn to step forward and claim their power and continue on with their mission of why they're really here. Now that involves leadership. So what would you feel are the qualities of leadership that you have learned? To me, 
Leadership is essentially just being who you are meant to be, just walking in your power and not letting any sort of fear, whether it's negativity, whether it's doubt, anything. If it's fearful, just it's no longer in the vocabulary of your consciousness, of your experience. And to step forward, knowing that in in the light, we can't convince people of what they should do. That's manipulation to me. And so the only way that we can lead is by example. So to me, it's being who you are meant to be and to be an example to others so that they can finally give themselves the permission slip to be who they were meant to be. Beautiful. Now, let's, I'd love to hear your take on inspiration and connection because what if parents say, which they do, quote, I'm supporting my kids. They're back home living with me. I'm having to work longer than I thought. And I need to stay at this current job, but I don't really like it. Mm. So what would you suggest for those people to find inspiration and connection with the universe? So for me, it was all about stepping into my power without relying on others. So when we traverse this reality, this matrix of society, a lot of what we've been programmed to believe and, and taught to be okay with is codependent. It's, it's, it's all an emphasis on codependency. Well, what is codependency really doing? It's disempowering the individual. And so, again, when, whenever anybody's listening to me, only take what resonates and disregard what doesn't, because I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. But if I was that parent in a situation where I had to work extra just because my child wanted to come live with me again, I would really ask myself, okay, I need to show myself unconditional love first. So am I happy doing what I'm doing? Well, not really. So I'm not going to do it. And that would show their child that they need to learn how to fend for themselves. And at the end of the day, yes, we have the experience of being an adult, of being a child, being a, a parent or a son or daughter. But at the end of the day, we're all equally powerful because we are all the same universe experiencing itself. And so once we let go of this codependency, once we start to transform limiting beliefs into limitless beliefs or just start being ourselves, which is essentially without limit, then the the natural path will present itself. And I think this is a great point for your viewers, Marilee, because I see so many starseeds, lightworkers, spiritual beings stuck in the same old patterns over and over again. They get so upset because, well, everybody in my life, they're just, they don't support me and they don't um, reflect back to me what I believe. And then what I would say to that is, why are you still there? <laughs> Isn't that a, a, a dissonant frequency? Let's use the law of attraction and repulsion to our advantage there. Knowing that when we're tr being true to ourselves and being honest with ourselves, that we would have much better luck and a, a much greater abundant, happy experience if we left that toxic environment. Because you can't really make a whole town move, but you can go to a whole new town yourself. 
And that's what I did with Sedona, Arizona. And I've been loving it since. I know people who go in and they get spat right back out because they're not willing to be honest with themselves. But for someone who is ready for that experience, that joy, that happiness, Sedona will welcome you with open arms and bolster everything you're doing and increase the rate at which you can receive. So that's what I would say to those individuals. It's it's beautiful. And Sedona, of course, is folks, it, I'm sure you know, this is another huge portal, just like Mount Shasta, you're attracted to the portals. And yeah. I learned something from a military super soldier. He said, Sedona has been picked as a neutral Interesting. Interesting. If there was such a, I don't like to use the word save or safety, but if there was a place like that, yeah, it is kind of interesting, but it's definitely an activator. So in regard to the prophecies that are unfolding, I have come to believe that I think just maybe Sedona may be uh, the new Jerusalem, the new city of peace, because Again, not everything is as literal as we may believe it to be from the logical mind. So in the book of Revelation, it talks about this new Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem just means city of peace. So what if it's a new city of peace? And for me, living in Sedona, that's what we're doing. That's what we're living. We're emphasizing peace. We're emphasizing spirituality and the new earth. And so to me, if it is a neutral zone, that would be why. Because the dark forces or whatever you want to call them could not, they literally could not walk on that ground in that sense uh, because of the decision at the galactic and universal level for that to be the New Jerusalem. So that's an interesting point to bring up. That is an interesting point. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um. Let's see a few more, a few more things. Um, You did recommend, this is a fun question. You did recommend uh, for family members and adults uh, Prometheus to watch Mm -hmm. Prometheus. And what other movies would you recommend as truth disclosure, you know, movies? Well, this is, this could become a really long list. (laughs) So I'll keep it it brief, but um, for me personally, my new favorite movie is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's pretty profound. It's it's a little extra. I wouldn't recommend it for young kids yet. <laughs> uh, it's got some pretty wild scenes in there. But the overall theme is exactly what we're talking about in unity theory, in hollow dynamics, reaching your full potential, unconditional love over fear. It's got all all the the main qualities. So I highly recommend that movie. Uh, I recommend, you know, if you've never seen the Matrix series, Matrix is pretty much Disclosure. Uh, Jupiter Ascending is Disclosure. Star Wars is Disclosure. The Force is real. We are literally the Force. That's what uh, the universal natural intelligence essentially is, is the life force of the universe. And so we're going to be able to interact with our environment by using telekinesis and other psychic abilities because the environment is us. We're just beginning to remember that. Um, and then, of course, all the superhero movies. I mean, yes. those are pretty clearly showing us what we're capable of. 
And that's what we're going to be living through in, I believe, this life. I do too. Mm-hmm. And those are those are examples of some of my guests on the show, actually. <laughs> Who are those? Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a that's a, a great example. So on the back of his book, he has this. I am that I am. I am who I am. I am. Mm-hmm. And um, I have noticed that when I'm manifesting or in my bossier moments commanding <laughs> <laughs> uh, manifestation, um, yeah. I often use the words I am. So would you like to kind of end this sequence with any insights you have about the importance of that? Sure. Uh, so the whole I am idea and concept is really important to me because when I came into this incarnation, my parents actually dedicated me to God. I was sort of a, they, they called me a miracle baby because my mom wasn't supposed to have kids and I came out of nowhere. And so they named me Isaac Andrew Marsh. I am. And so it was always important to me, uh, the whole story of Moses and the burning bush, which was allegedly an acacia bush. <laughs> um, but uh, that whole story is important to me in my childhood. And so when I started writing music, my musician name became Who I Am. And so I could go up on stage and I'd say, I am who I am. And oh, that's great. Yeah. And actually, if you look in the center of the back of the book, Right in the center uh, circle, there's a square with a circle in it, um, and it has every single letter of the phrases that I just that you just read. Mm-hmm. So you you can see I A N W H O I A M, and it's got the T in there as well, and so uh, it's got the A in there as well. I mean, it's just got all those phrases, and to me, that is a a sacred symbol I've been gifted to share with the rest of the world to know that we are all one because the same I am that I am, you are as well. We're all the same observer experiencing this gift of life. And so uh, and another thing to note is the circle with a point in the middle is I think a native spiritual symbol for the sun. So the sun is a to me, a reflection of the universe itself. And so that's why all this, the bodies within the universe, for the most part, the, the larger bodies are spherical in nature because it's a reflection of what I believe to be our spherical universe. So all patterns within patterns within patterns. Orbs, souls, yeah, yeah all the sacred geometry. Exactly. Well, Isaac, you've done us a big favor. Thank you. This presentation can be addressed and listened to. And I do provide podcasts for your convenience for all ages, probably from late teens onwards. So, so to advance the integration of understanding that science, true science and true spirituality are unified. Mm -hmm. So his book, Unity Theory, uh, which is the theory of everything, and it explains mysteries regarding the nature uh, um, of reality, like dark matter, 
dark energy, uh, gravity, how consciousness is key, etc. So we will discuss that in part two. So please keep your notifications on. So you'll know when we're having that it'll be soon. And if you'd like, please like and share with other people. And Isaac, I can't say enough. It is so fun. I just look at you and I just want to like giggle and hug you. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. You know, it's like a common, it's like being with the sun, actually. Well, thank you so much. It's like a radiation, a humility, a no nonsense, a stepping forward, uh, very polite. It's the best qualities of humanity. And I know we haven't fully discussed even all the challenges you went through, like when you, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll get there. And mm-hmm. so I so appreciate your dedication and you being a living example for all of us. And uh, we will. Well, Merrily, thank you so much. It's it's an honor to be on your show and to know you in this life. You're just such a joy and you exude radiance and, you know, happiness, laughter. I mean, when you start laughing, I start laughing and then you start laughing and then we can't stop. So it's just such a pleasure to know you. And um, I really do see you. And I mean, you basically got me speechless because I, I don't know what to say after that. <laughs> <laughs> but um for everybody watching, seriously, if anybody feels the need to reach out, um, just do so. I've got an email on my website, thecrimsoneagle.com. And for those of you who are all over the world, uh, know that you can get my book for free or love donation, whatever you feel is necessary, on my website. This information is meant to get out to the people. I'm not going to hide it behind a paywall. And if you happen to see me in person, feel free to reach out. If you want to friend request me on Facebook, that's fine. Just please send me a brief message uh, explaining why so I don't just start adding a bunch of random people. So anyway, thank you folks for your curiosity to learn and grow. And with that attitude, we will continue to move upwards and onwards. Blessings. Um, Blessings. Much love.